Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lits. My name is Nick Argyris, and this week I'm looking for a space opera. That's the best opera. opera. That's good. Wacky, absolutely wacky. Um, and you know what, litheads? This is the show where you get the absolute whack that you're looking for. Yeah, that's what the litheads are here. They're here for the lit discussion and the wackiness. And the fun part is that I didn't really know that this was a genre of books or mm. anything. Um, secret learning. Secret learning. <laughs> Congratulations. We've all secretly learned today. Uh, and to help us, litheads, and me, litheads. Wait, are you? Are two, <laughs> you well, lost I'm, it. I'm only talking <laughs> to the litheads today. Who are you talking to? <laughs> Just talking to the litheads. Hello, me and litheads. Me, litheads. We are litheads. <laughs> I, the pauses were commas, so it all makes sense if if we got that um If we're transcribing the show, yes, yeah. it all makes mm-hmm. sense. Uh, to help us, Lidheads, our two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Hi, I'm Joe. I just got my mic stand, like, sorted out. Nick started the show before no I was No way they ready. care about that. Well, okay. Well, I'm Joe Holshoe. I'm a high school English teacher. By the Joe. time you listen to this, Lidheads, I will once again be like a working high school English teacher because Sweet Sweet Summer is coming to an end. Um, mm. And... Nick, if you are looking for a space opera, I'd recommend Revelation Space, which has space right in the right title. In the title, yeah. By yeah. a guy named Alastair Reynolds. Alastair Reynolds. It's 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 good. It's long. Nick, it's a long book. I'm not gonna lie. It's a long intro. Well, I there's no time limit <laughs> on my intro. <laughs> Yet, Nick's going to start instituting greater and greater restrictions. Nick's, um, Nick's guys, podcast setup is just going to be like 25 timers in front of him pretty soon. Just egg timer after egg It's a wall of timer. clocks over here. Slap them like in the chest. Um, do you guys know... Sorry, I'll introduce myself in a second. When yeah, did course. this show, Phineas and Ferg... The show, Phineas and Ferg, when was that on the TV? Um, probably the nineties. It sounds like the nineties. No, it's later than the nineties. It was after, it was well after my childhood. Uh, Phineas and Ferb, I think I would put it like early 2000s, 2005. Okay. Weird. That's what I thought. I thought it was like early 2000s. Very excited to see how this could possibly be relevant to your introduction. (laughs) Well, Joe, you made that comment about summer being over Mm. in class today. Cause my summer, it was, is long over in class today. Oh man, you say your book. (laughs) My student. (laughs) I I said something about summer being over, and my students quoted in unison a line from Phineas and Ferb about mm. how summer is 104 days long, and then school's way to end it. It was so weird. Yeah. It was so, so peculiar. So the answer is, is that Phineas and Ferb was on TV, like, whenever your students that you currently have were eight years old or something. Like, that's when it was It on. can't be. It can't be. They're too young. My mm. thing is... um. Yeah, what's your thing? Take take your time. Are they right? Wait, is summer to, 108 days? No, are they right to speak in unison like that? I don't know. Do you guys want to hear a one-star review for Phineas and Ferb? <laughs> yes. Sure, yeah. <laughs> All right, first one here. Blind, walking in blind. One-star review from Josiah. I loved it! <laughs> I honestly don't know why parents say it is. it has cussing when I went through all of the episodes just to make sure, and guess what? There was no cussing. Hmm. I rate one star so people see this. <laughs> uh, a bold strategy, Josiah. but it's I good. don't you mind scam. it. Yeah. Here we are, oh, Josiah. I, I, the thousands well, the, you know what? of litheads are, 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 are seeing it. Should we 
tell people to rate our show one star on iTunes. No, that's no, I'm gonna cut that. (laughs) No, don't do that. It's five stars only. (laughs) Joe, do you think anybody's gonna join us on this episode? Hello, my name is Dr. Ian DeYoung. I'm a high school English teacher and I've been laboring at the high school English teaching for several weeks now. Unlike wow. Joe, who is mm-hmm. just barely basking in the glory. Mm-hmm. Today, just I brought the, a space opera. And this space opera is written by, uh, it's a book called J- Leviathan Wakes. It's written by a non-person who does not exist named James S.A. Corey. And this is a reader recommendation, a lithead recommendation. Hooray. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> what do you mean a non-person? Like, like... Is is this a pen name? Is this a pseudonym? Was this written by an AI? Yeah. That's a good hook, Ian. We are interested. Answer the question. Uh, James S.A. Corey, the author of this yeah. book, does not exist. Oh, mm. like anymore? Like, like he's a ghost? Has he, has he been canceled? Should you have brought this for Ghost Week? I mean, if you guys guarantee that I'll win, then yeah, I'll tell you all about it right now. If not, no. you gotta wait for it's my turn. <sighs> Fine, we'll wait. Actually, you know what? We really uh, took up all of our bullshit time in the beginning, so let's just roll right into it. <laughs> ah, fantastic. <laughs> Welcome, Litheads, to You Don't Know Lit. Is my Phineas and Ferg stuff not good audio? <laughs> I think it's Phineas and Ferb. For, for, let me say right here. Um, it is Phineas and Ferb. It's my form of comedy. It's it's hilarious, and the litheads totally get it. The litheads yeah, no. love it. That was <laughs> probably some of our best work. Um, welcome, litheads. It's a Phineas and Ferb, the podcast. <laughs> 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 Weekly, or as we call it strongly, strong. podcast, where every week we pick a, a theme of immense merit, and uh, Ian and Joe battle it out for uh, the best book within that theme, and uh, we pick a winner every week. And um, you say... We duke we, it out. Um, yeah. Or is that I, it, it feels like a trap. It feels like, don't say, don't say it. Don't agree to what Ian said, Nick. It feels like it's a trap he is setting Just, for it, you it's to It's a simple in. question. Are we duking it out or are we I would say, it out? I would say we duke it out, yeah. Okay. Oh. There we go. Uh, Phineas Ferb, 2007 it aired. 2007. Okay. Thank no, you. That, 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 hits my, that hits my students' ages, I guess. Weird. Horrifying. Um, time you're is a way old, of passing. You're old. Um, uh, Litheads, on this podcast, on this what? here podcast, you know we have some rules. Is he steamrolling the shadow rules first? <laughs> He's doing all the bits now. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. You want to get him out now? No, I just... I just Did you I'll forget wait. that I didn't say the rules yet? I think he was, I no. think he was transitioning for I us. Was, That's very nice. <laughs> Ian, let me smell your breath. Have you been drinking? To be perfectly honest with you, I was going to try and just steamroll the rules, and then I got bashful, and I backed <laughs> off. Check you it. know, you're, we're, we're, you're throwing off the rolls of the show. I'm the one that's supposed to derail us constantly. <laughs> you're supposed to be the rules. This is, this is Ian's mind after terrible. four hours plus of talking about syllabi. Yeah, this is Ian's mind after his first honest day of work since before COVID. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, anyway, I'm excited to see who's going to win. Uh, to keep us on track, we do have some rules. 
of course. Uh, rule number one is uh, only unavoidable spoilers, gentlemen. Or, you know, if you have any control over your, your mouths today, no spoilers <laughs> would be ideal. Uh, rule number two, uh, omit, omit needless, needless words, words, Joe and Joe. Ian. And uh, rule number oh, three... Yeah! <laughs> and Ian! Rule Ian, number Ian. three... Winning isn't everything. It's the only thing of importance here. Mm-hmm. And rule number and, four and is no and now, downers. Yeah. No downers. Is, yeah, and rule number four, no downers. But, I mean, we'll try. <laughs> oh, you better believe it. We best. also have um, our only shadow rule. You folks know it. I know it. Say um, it with us. We all say it every day of our lives. Shoot first. Ask questions later. That's good. He's got a list. Uh, hey, Joe. Yeah. Tell me what your book's about in 30 seconds or less. Absolutely, Nick. Revelation Space, written in the year 2000 and approximately 10,000 pages long, is what happens when science fiction is written by an honest-to-God PhD-wielding astrophysicist. I had heard the term hard sci-fi before I read this book, but now I get what it means. Uh, It's set like... There's a whole bunch of stuff to say. I'm totally off the rails already. Uh, Basically, ancient civilization. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Great. Uh, Uh, Hard sci-fi. That'd be a good theme. Hey, did you guys remember when I talked all about this in uh, an episode many, many months ago? No. You talked over me and ignored it? About hard sci-fi? Oh, is this uh, with the um, South Pole stuff? No, no, that's That guy at the South Pole or Siberia or something? No, nope. like, also not that. It's called The Three-Body Problem. It's by oh. Leo Tsushin. It's a okay. great book. I said hard sci-fi, and you guys are like, blah, 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 games, games, games. Yeah. I, I, I think I lost that week. Sounds like Joe sold it a little bit better than you did. <laughs> Ian, I wasn't paying attention because like... I, I, well, <laughs> Thank you for your honesty, Jeff. Well, I have heard hard sci-fi before, and I had a sense of what it was, but... It, you know, as you know, all empathetic people know that there is a difference between knowing something in your head and understanding it in your heart. I think oh. I knew what hard sci-fi was in my head. And after reading this book, I now understand it in my heart because <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> I really like I really like the term hard sci-fi because it, it kind of has a little pun in it. Because yes, it, the high, science is hard science, as in like it's not soft, it's right. not it's not flexible. It's like legitimate right. science or yeah, or, or at least speculative speculative science. But it's also like a really good descriptor of how difficult it is. Because yes. reading hard sci-fi is hard. It's exhausting. Mm. I don't want to I don't want to sell my book short here, right? Like I enjoyed my book a lot, but this is the hardest I've worked reading a book in a Whoa. in a long time. Yes. Could we apply this additional word to other categories? Like, like oh, hard like, romance? Like hard romance or soft romance? Well, let's there, pick any other word but romance and <laughs> <laughs> retell how, that joke. How real hard quickly. was it? <laughs> oh God! Like for example, if we had uh, you know the genre of lasers, mm-hmm. you know there'd be hard laser books and soft lasers. <laughs> hard hard butler books and soft butler books. Yeah. Well, like exactly. what about like like even if you just go like fantasy? Like could I don't know hard fantasy and soft hard fantasy. Let's take back all of this. The problem with it is like hard fantasy. Fantasy doesn't have much basis in reality. Mm, yeah. But the, I think the part of the beauty of sci-fi Science is that is like real. some sci-fi does have like like Ray Bradbury, who didn't really like being called a science fiction author. Ray Bradbury like wrote books forecasting technology, which we now use. And he didn't just mm-hmm. forecast the technology. He also forecast the effect that technology would have on modern society. So one Ian, of his your, books... Your time has started. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Leviathan Wakes isn't body horror, though it does have zombies and a virus that mutates human bodies beyond recognition. It's mm-hmm. not romance, hard romance or soft romance, though it does center on one of the most unconventional love stories I've ever seen. It's not a pirate story, even though it's got scalawags, ships, and treasure. No, it is a space opera, and it contains multitudes. Recommended by Rachel, who is a loyal lithead. Very loyal. I think she actually also recommended this theme of space yes. operas. Good job, thank, Rachel. Thank you, Rachel. And thank if anybody you, else has any themes they'd like to see on the show, now, granted, we can make them up ourselves, and they, they tend to be quite perfect. Uh, but if you have any recommendations, we'll certainly take them, Letheads, or books for that matter. We like to um, we like to think of this show as a proof of concept. The concept being books. Ian, Nick, and Joe are bad at choosing themes. Mm-hmm. And so look at this show, think about the concept, and then supply a concept for us. No, I, I actually don't say that ironically. I really think our themes are quite to go, quite good. <laughs> <laughs> Another non-ironic episode. Oh All right. So um, Joe's book has hard sci-fi, but Ian's book has multitudes of things. So <laughs> the, <laughs> they both have quite a bit on the horizon in my eyes. Um, you know, when I think of a space opera, I think about multitudes so <laughs> naturally, uh, yes, naturally. Um, so, hey, hey, Ian. Hey, yeah. I want to hear about your book, starting with the name of it one more time, please. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did kind of um, I did kind of swallow the name. The name is Leviathan Wakes. And I kept referring to it in my mind as Leviathan Rising. That's not Leviathan Rising. It's Leviathan Wakes. So okay. there it is. Do you know what a Leviathan is, Nick? It's like a big water thing, big water snake. Yeah, I mean, it's like a huge, scary monster. Wow. It's one of the one of the one of the coolest. It's in Moby like, Dick. I mean, yeah, Moby Dick is a, is a Leviathan. It's one of the coolest things, like one of the coolest little cameo appearances in the Bible. The Bible keeps throwing out little mentions of Leviathan, and you're like, "What mm. is Leviathan?" But every time it shows up in the Bible, it's just like a stand-in for something horrifying and gigantic and scary. Wow. Godzilla so is a Leviathan. There's sea so. monsters in the Bible. I did not know. Yeah, and King Kong is in the Bible, too, and they duke it out. <laughs> I think, what is that, in Matthew? <laughs> it's, it's like one of the later no, I books of the Bible. I think of uh, Godzilla versus Kong, whoever wins, we lose, in the recent film. <laughs> space opera Space opera is a fun, is a fun, um, a fun theme because... I didn't have to do a like I don't know about I, I guess I do know about you, Joe. Mm-hmm. I more unlike more. Joe didn't have to do a lot of like hard brain thinking on this one. This is just oh. like a fun freaking read. Like this is a, a rollicking. I don't want to say romp adventure. Mm. It's a good adventure. Cool. What's it about, Ian? Uh, I'll quote from Rachel to start because Rachel summed this up pretty well in her uh, explanation of this book. She says. And I quote, there is a missing girl, an alien substance that no one understands, and a political war brewing between Earth, Mars, and the outer planets. And honestly, I could try and improve on that, but that's really good. There is a missing girl, and she is like kind of, this is the the sort of the unconventional love story I mentioned. Like that's that's a real core, kind of an emotional core of this book. Um, there is the aforementioned alien thing, and I... That's the body horror. I really don't want to get into it further because 
yeah, spoilers. Um, it's a spoiler, I, I, yeah. This is set in a period when Earth has sent out colonists to a whole bunch of different places like Mars and various other like asteroid belts and colonize, like put space stations on some as- space stations space on some stations. asteroid belts. Yeah, with Sean Connery. Um, and so there are like kind of three distinct cultures or societies. There's, there's Earth and there's Mars and then there's the Belters. And the Belters kind of see themselves as like, underdogs nobody takes them like they're they're kind of doing resistance and stuff and at the beginning of the book there's not a war and by the end of the book there's kind of a war Um, see this is like the exact description of a space opera i expected uh kind of hard to explain but a lot of things happen (laughs) like explain star wars um yeah it's like a little green guy There's some cool and music. There's a guy who's kind of a robot, but not. I don't think he's a robot, but he's why, awesome. He's um, British, I guess. This is my first. <laughs> this is my first bullet point for this for for selling you on Leviathan Wakes. It okay. hits a lot of beats. I'm gonna say them really fast, and you can just um, listen to them and think about how many there are. The threat of alien contact, fast spaceships that fight each other, love and lust and betrayal, hard-boiled detectives, evil corporations, apathetic global governments, space marines, and the list goes on. Like when I finished this and I was starting to think about like what can I say about this book, I was like, holy cow, there's so much. Yeah. There's like nuclear torpedoes and hacking. And <laughs> a space station that gets blown up. It's like there's so much going on. Is um is this a standalone book? This is part of a you ready for this nine book oh series. Oh boy, that's intimidating, huh, Joe? Yeah, it, it makes me not want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing: Are you just trying to intimidate us, Ian? <laughs> yeah, Ian, I'm waving my massive. Take your bullying elsewhere. Around. He's waving around his hard sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> But here's the thing, like the book ends and that's good. It's like it's not even like a Marvel movie. It's more self-contained than a Marvel movie. You know, in Marvel movies, it's like, oh, you think everything's wrapped up, and then there's a post-credit scene that completely does undoes everything. Just kidding. This is like or in in Game of Thrones, like every season you would have that episode nine, and episode nine would be the climactic event. And then episode 10 would set you up for the next season. Instead of feeling like calm and peaceful, you'd be like, ah, but what happens next? In this book, the action ends and it feels like it's done. Mm -hmm. If James S.A. Corey, who does not exist, had passed away after writing this book, it would be fine on its own. I think the other books probably add to it, but... If I I have limited time, I might not read the other books in the series. If I just read this, I'm good. Like this is enough. This is this is solid. Yeah, I it's a great story. There are lasers and aliens. And- <laughs> I should have brought it on laser week. Um oh, should have. You know what? That was a mistake. See, that's the great part about lasers being a theme. You can uh-huh. bring almost any book. It's true. It's true. <laughs> I mean, any book with lasers. <laughs> Um, you know, yeah, well, you know, lasers are pretty ingrained in, in yeah, a lot of things like we do. Obviously, Joe. in most books. Joe, 
Joe, what are your first thoughts? Uh, first thoughts on this? Well, my first thought is I'm, I'm mostly curious about the author still, and I know like I feel like he's yeah. waited to, you know for that shoe to drop. Is, 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 do you think he's dropping the hammer on us? Mm. I don't know what that means. You know. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> You're gonna drop the hammer. I can yeah. tell you about the author. Are you, you burying the, the lead? Bearing the lead, that is a good phrase. I guess I'm curious about two things. Like, I, I'm curious about the author, but I'm also curious, like, I assume there's some massive central conflict at the center of this book. Like, when I think space op- opera, I think intergalactic war. It sounds mm-hmm. like there wasn't a war, and then there was a war. Like, so far for me, and I've got a hard-boiled detective and a ship captain, which is a pretty charming yeah. duo. Like, I like Tell that. Tell us about the rebels and oh, oh, the, the Wookiees. The, the, the um... What, what are they called? Like the asteroid belters, the belters. They sound the awesome. Belters. Yeah. Um, so there's, there is, there are factions as often happens. Um, the factions that there, there's a group, uh, kind of like the IRA, I guess. Um, some people call them terrorists. Some people call them freedom fighters. They're aiming to liberate the belt. Their goal is to say, Hey, let's make the belt its own place. The details in this, in this book are really, really pristine. So, it's not hard sci-fi, and they say like it's not hard sci-fi. They they cite the author. The author cites um, kind of uh, um, as an as an inspiration Ridley Scott's Alien movie, and the author says, "Well, um, Ridley Scott's Alien movie doesn't try to be like scientifically accurate." There's a whole scene in Alien where the ship Nostromo has a dark room with chains hanging down from the ceiling and water dripping from them. Why is it there? Why is that room there? Because it looks cool. So like (laughs) they're not bound to hard sci-fi, but they do think things out pretty well. So for instance, um, the Belters are people who are largely born and raised in lower gravity. And so their limbs are longer um, and their body, they tend to be taller. And this makes it very easy to tell who is from Earth and who is from the belt. And cool. this, coupled with the cultural differences, means that there's prejudice and there's not quite racism, but sort of like originism. Like, yeah. oh, you're a belter. Oh, you're an Earth person. Right. We um, don't talk about kind here. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They talk about going to Earth as going down the well, down the gravity well. Um, it just, cool. it's just very, like very thoroughly thought out. And this kind of gets to the mystery that I was, I've been teasing of the authorship. So James S.A. Corey does not exist as a person. Instead, this is two people who co-wrote this book under a pen name. <gasps> it is possible. It is possible. Yes. Um, Two people who have ties to George R. R. Martin. One of them, uh, Ty Franck, was Martin's personal assistant. The other is like done a lot of kind of collaborative work with Martin. You can really see his influence. I can talk about that more in a second. But these guys, they they're co-authoring this series. Um, Franck set out. He was trying to build an MMORPG, which for the uninitiated uninitiated is a mega mega online. Uh-huh. Rep- Repeating. I don't think good. That's you're doing what great. Still good. <laughs> Keep going. I M M O. Yeah, it's, it's it's a video game with a bunch of people. Yeah, like like World of Warcraft, World of Warcraft style. So he was setting out to write this setting for a game, and his buddy uh, Daniel Abraham came along and say said, "Ty, no, 
this is writers don't do that much research. You don't need to flesh everything out like races and relationships <laughs> and like you don't need to do all that. This should just be a novel. And so he, Abraham and Frank started trading off uh, writing chapters. So each of them has like a guy, uh, a, a, a point of view that they write from. Um, Abraham has uh, one of our main characters and Frank has the other as well as some some kind of other minor characters. And so they each write their own point of view characters and then they kind of get together and they edit and they share and they talk. And um, it's really, it's really, we've talked about collaboration on this podcast before. I love this method because the effect is the hard-boiled detective is written by one guy. The ship captain is written by another guy. They have two different psychologies, these characters, and it happens that they're written by two different people. So they feel they have a different flavor. They taste a little bit different, um, <laughs> which I think is like a wonderful side effect of collaboration. I could imagine it feeling like really authentic, right? Like it's like when these characters interact with one another, when they have different takes on things, right? Like it's not two beans inside of one guy's head that are duking it out. It's two. I, I think it gives some mm, boy. Uh, I'm really trying nuance. not to use the word flavor here. Nuance. nuance. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome yeah, to nuance. Absolutely. Talent. Can you, uh, can you tell I've, I've never read a book written by two people before. Is that first <laughs> off, is that a genre? Secondly, is that, um, does it make the story better because you can tell who's writing what chapter and it kind of, like, can you feel it in the writing or is it pretty smooth? I heard Terry Pratchett. No, I heard Neil Gaiman talk about this for Good Omens, which Ian brought a couple of weeks ago at this point. Um, oh, yeah. We're like, we're, that was a book. Written we weren't listening people. then either. <laughs> Great. But I saw Neil Gaiman talk about like, oh, well, we started out and I would write these characters and he would write these characters. But at that time, it just ended up like meshing into each other. And we ended up right. like, like writing over one another. And he said he did not think you could tell when you read, right? Like right. they adopted each other's voice. Right. And and the, the game in Pratchett kind of amalgam is, is a beautiful condensation of both of their very different, but very witty voices. I think, so Nick, that's a, that's a really interesting question. I think I couldn't tell until I did my prep for this episode, discovered that James S.A. Corey is not a person, mm. realized they were co-authors. Feel uh, betrayed. Um, Went through all the stages of I grief. I didn't feel betrayed. I felt mm. like it was awesome. I finished it. I finished it. <laughs> and I was like, wow, those characters are really different. But it didn't feel like radically different writing styles in the, the varying kind of handoff chapters. But when I now that I know... I understand. What? I couldn't point it out though. I couldn't say, "Oh yes, uh, Frank uses this, but but Abraham only uses this phrase." Hey, what does like, the S the SA stand for? Um, uh, James and Corey uh, are their middle names, and SA stands for the they are the initials of Daniel Abraham's daughter. Wow. So they just, they just came up with the name. This is also apparently an homage to like classic space opera authors from like the 70s. Yeah. They're very influenced by that kind of thing. With um, two middle names. R.L. Stein. Right. <laughs> right. Um, they, I'm just amazed by how quickly they can do this. So this book was written in 2011. The most recent book is going to come out later this year in 2021. And they have written, this is the ninth book coming out this year. 
I did some math and about half an hour after about a half an hour of work, I figured out that's nine books in 11 years. That's, that's way more books than I've written in the last 11 years. Like I've <laughs> right way right. more. Ian, how many? Have, um, if, I've only written about you? six or three or one. Yeah. Not many in, in other it words. Depends it depends how you define book, I guess. Oh, absolutely. I mean like every, <laughs> each one of these podcast episodes takes the effort of writing a book. At least. So, yeah. By that metric. It's like a book or as my daughter calls them, books. Books. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's really interesting to me too, with this, with this writing, this, this kind of, um, how he started trying to set up a, a, an RPG and it morphed into this. It's amazing to me the way that RPGs, um, like Dungeons and Dragons and other, other kind of, um, role-playing games have affected modern pop culture. So like, it, not just in terms of like, oh, people talk about D and D, but writers and creators are using rpgs now as a way to generate stories so oh martin yeah. i mentioned george r. r martin and i have something um, to say about this oh you do <laughs> well hang on i'll i want to hear what you have to say so okay. um I'll martin martin and a bunch of his buddies um built a sci- uh, not sci-fi like a superhero uh rpg back in like the 80s and they were playing this game and then at some point they were like each of them had you know the characters they would play with their abilities and at some point someone was like these are good stories let's write these down and they have and this is now a long running not very well known but pretty pretty excellent series called wild cards um and the sources of these are rpg sessions where these players play the game they play their characters and then they draw on that and write the stories down, which I think is such a cool way of, yeah. of co-authoring. Well, it is cool. Like it, it, like it's talking about like the ultimate collaboration, right? Like we've all played D and D here and it like the coolest part of D and D is like, Hey, we're getting together to like write this story together, yeah. co-author this story. Yep. I do feel like writing it down though, is kind of like somebody who really likes hanging out in bars deciding that they should open a bar, right? <laughs> like, like I do think they're slightly different, but yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I hear what you're saying. People were like extremely qualified to open bars though. Exactly. It would be like, it would be like someone who, someone who currently runs a whole bunch of bars going to a bar, hanging yeah. out in the bar and saying, I should open <laughs> another, another open bar. bar. Like, this is the thing. These guys are all Close. really yeah. accomplished authors already. Yeah. So, well, some of them are, um, some of them are George Martin, but, um, uh, <laughs> they, Almost. Sorry, George. Uh, George isn't a fan of the show yet. He will be. Sooner. Yeah, he will be before he finishes his books. <laughs> true. Ian, can but, I tell um, you about my thing? Yeah, tell me yeah. your thing, Nick. Oh, okay. So um, through a recommendation from a friend, uh, my wife and I started playing a video game, which mm. we don't do. Um, okay. And um, it's called 12 Minutes, and mm. it's created the production studio is created by what's called Annapurna Interactive, which is a video game publisher in this case, but it's a subsidiary or a sister company or whatever you want to call it of Annapurna Pictures or Annapurna like production company. So it's this movie company getting into video games and it's starring like William Defoe and like all of these absolute A-list actors as like the voiceover talent. And it's like a really fun video game that's really like low pressure. It's like a puzzle almost. James McAvoy <laughs> and Daisy Ridley. Holy cow. Yeah, it's, it's, and if you're not familiar with Annapurna 
they make they made Vice and Zero Dark Thirty and American Hustle and every other great movie. They're like one of the top um, production companies out there. And um, anyway, so I thought it was really interesting because I'd never heard of that before where you're having these like great storytellers or people that know how to create great stories and shifting over to video games as a medium because it's, well, frankly, more profitable. But anyway, that's it. Wow. Go pl- I have, we haven't beat 12 minutes yet, um, which takes, it's a little bit of a misleading title um, <laughs> for reasons I could get into, but it would take, um, it would take you 12 minutes to do. Yeah, it would take more than 12 minutes. Yeah. Reading this book brought something into focus for me um, about science fiction and the way science fiction works in modern, like 21st century Western society. This has been adapted into a, a pretty pretty well-loved um, TV show, The Expanse, which is very high on my list of to be watched. Uh, we like stories about humans. Human beings really, really need stories to be about humans. They're really focused on people. They start on Earth. And I don't mean this to be like a diss on this novel. Or human race. <laughs> or human beings. But I, I really like it's I, I wonder what an alien centered space opera would be like. I mean, Mass Effect is kind of like that, the video game Mass Effect. But it's really like oftentimes even like the classic space operas like Flash Gordon or Star Wars. These are human centric. These are anthropocentric. And I'm sure this exists. Well, well, I'm sure it does. I mean, and this is this is maybe me calling to uh, calling across the sands to the legions of litheads. Like, yeah. hey, litheads, recommend a, a non-anthropocentric uh, space opera because I want to read it. Hey, Ian, can I recommend one right now? Please, mm-hmm. Frog and Toad. Addicted to automobiles. I recently, you guys, I recently, I recently read some Frog and Toad to my young son. <laughs> I have forgotten how absolutely brilliant frog and toad is and i think we should do a frog and toad week <laughs> a frog and toad reboot. what we, we are didn't we already bring we definitely we definitely have talked about frog and toad i think on this you podcast. brought frog and i did toad. not i didn't bring frog and toad we may have talked about you it, did you I, definitely brought frog and toad for I talking think animals you did. i think you won with frog and toad i've lost no, with no, charlotte's no, web no, which I no i didn't win with frog and toad you chuckleheads i won with wind in the willows which is very different from frog and <laughs> toad and i am frankly insulted <laughs> that you would mix them up we uh, really got to do a better job, uh, Joe, of listening to Ian. I didn't. I don't think I ever knew that those were two different things. Oh my god! I think we talked about this as well. Um, I'll cut this out so we sound smart. And uh-huh. yeah, I'm just looking back, episode eight, the uh, wind in the willows. That's our bad, Ian. I think uh, I'll let it. I'll let it slide. Do you guys have uh, any books about how to help us? yeah yeah we do we do we always do i will bring a book which is sort of self-help and memoir it's it's a self-help book that's got the results right in there it's called the year of yes and it's by shonda rhimes who has done a whole bunch of stuff with success and extremely popular television shows i've never seen a rhymes show a shonda show but uh, i know that she's hugely popular and i'm interested to see what happens when she said yes to everything for a whole year 
Wow, that sounds pretty good and also optimistic. Um, my book takes a more pessimistic tone about like our own Great. abilities. Yeah, um, my book is about what to do in a world that is bombarding you nonstop with notifications and information. It is called The World Beyond Your Head, subtitle on becoming an individual in an age of distraction. And this is a book, um, you know, we bring a lot of books to this show. This is a book that I read a while ago that was genuinely impactful time. in the way I lead my life. I would say life-changing book. Life-changing help book. you is what you're saying, Joe. Well, we'll get to it next week. Okay. Um, Joseph. Yes. I'm excited to hear about your book. Oh, I am excited. And all of the to science. Talk specifically oh, the hard science. I hope you guys are ready for some equations. This book went to bed so long <laughs> if it weren't for the pages and pages and pages of equations. Um, all right. I read a book this week called Revelation Space. They went into space. Let me prove it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's so he said it's like ten thousand pages. Maybe it's like just a math book. Jimmy and Johnny want to go to space. <laughs> it's the first six hundred pages are the story, and the last the last nine thousand pages are the footnotes. Uh, the just proofs. explaining Work. the proofs. <laughs> Yeah, so I read a book this week called Revelation Space by a guy named Alistair Reynolds. Um, I don't have a ton about Reynolds himself. He's Welsh, which I think is fun. I don't exactly know what that means. I think it's something like British, um, but I think they would be offended if I said that. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. And, yeah, and he is like a legit scientist. Um, he has his PhD in astrophysics and I know what you're thinking. You're like, oh, well, sure. He's just like this really smart guy. He got his PhD, but he just wanted to write books. Um, no, he worked for the European Space Agency uh, until the year 2004, uh, at which point he left to write books. But he's an honest to God, like rocket scientist. That's um, interesting. You don't see a lot of rocket scientists writing books. Well, OK. Do you? No, no, here's the thing. So, mm -hmm. again, not to beat a dead horse, but um, Leo Tsushin's Three-Body Problem is written by a guy who was, like, a, uh, an engineer um, and got advanced advanced degrees in that. Um, he was, like, an engineer for 15, years. Yeah, I can't years. name any either. Joking. <laughs> I like how Ian today is just like, I don't think these guys listen to anything I say. But, Frog and toad, Three-Body Problem. <laughs> but this is the this is the weird thing. I was going to tie in to... Like Ian Fleming and spies, because oh. there is a whole thing where, especially British spies from like 1950 to 1970s, they stopped being spies and then they started writing novels about being spies. So, like, mm. it seems like there are there are a couple of genres where maybe people do this. Fair enough. Yeah, where they're like, oh well, I've I've done this my entire life. I'm going to write books about it now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, well, um, Alistair Reynolds definitely. Did. Um, in fact, this book is, it, it has so many parallels with Ian's book, right? Like, I think what's always amazing about these books is they put you into a universe that before they wrote this only existed inside of their heads. Like, you know, Ian used the words window dressing uh, in his, right? But they, I think a good science fiction book has this ability to like show you a glimpse of something that hints at a massive universe, like fully realized, fully thought out, like behind it um and I, would, I would go farther and say like that's that's part of success if i'm reading a book 
that doesn't seem to have that, mm-hmm. it's not going to work for me. Right. Like it has to feel real. Like as crazy as it sounds, like this universe has to feel as if it could exist. Fully realized. Is this a standalone book? Okay. This is, you know how Ian, how Ian's book was like, it, there was like nine novels after it that you had to read in order to understand what was happening in his book. If I remember what he just said. Which we have established that we do not remember. Yep, that's right. <laughs> um, mine only has three novels after it. Uh, so my, mine is the first Two. book in a trilogy. Three points for Joe. Like uh, like Ian said, though, I do think this is a standalone book, right? Like it, it, it is a three book trilogy, uh, but this book has a conclusion, a satisfying conclusion to it. It has a climax. It, it does like tease you towards more, but it's not necessary to read what's coming. Yeah. There's a lot of books like that. I feel like where it's like, well, we need to wrap up this first one. Cause I think I'm going to write more, but I don't know for sure. <laughs> I, I actually, uh, I want to get to the plot in just a second, but I love the idea of, I think I'm going to write more, but I don't know for sure. Because when you read this book, this is Alistair Reynolds first book that he published. Oh, wow. And when you read it, you can't help but get the feeling that he just wanted to include every idea that he ever had about like a universe (laughs) where he's like, hey, I might not get another crack at this. So here are some like near light spaceships. And here is a neutron star that is also a computer. And here are little mechanical rats that clean the the ship, but also you talk to them. (laughs) Like it's so dense with stuff like that. Before I get too far, I want to talk about plot just a little bit. That'd be nice. There are... Yeah, because I have no idea what's going on in this book beyond there's a revolution mm-hmm. and it's a star. Good. Right. right. There's, I think there's a revelation. Mm. Oh, wait. Does your book have King Kong and Godzilla in it? Well, yeah, revelations. You got it. Um, we... There, there's three characters. Well, there's a bunch of characters in this book, but there's essentially three threads that you need to follow early in this book. There is an archaeologist who has discovered an ancient civilization, an ancient alien civilization that has been mysteriously Uh, Sorry, I'm going to have to stop you right there. Uh, Joe, Ian's scoff I need to address. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great start. An ancient (laughs) civilization, I think that sounds very titillating oh hey nick only because you've seen it 80 times before well one second nick it gets better this ancient civilization was wiped out nine hundred thousand years earlier oh i love it um Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh man how much time passes in your book ian (laughs) okay couple years (laughs) so that's the first thread the second thread that you need to follow is there is a ship's captain, kind of a, a, a default ship's captain. She's been promoted because her captain has um, underfallen. It doesn't matter. Something, <laughs> something bad happened to him. Um, and she is on a ship that is classified as a light hugger. And what a light hugger is, is a ship that approaches the speed of light. Doesn't get there because, of course, Alistair Reynolds is a physicist and he Can knows I, that nothing. I know about this. W- go ahead. Yeah, that you actually can go faster than the speed of light by approaching the speed of light. Is this correct? Joe, you're an astrophysicist now since you've read this book. Is this correct? Like if you go to 99.9%, the nine is infinite. 
Mm. And that that lumber number keeps getting larger and larger, and it I don't know for some space reason you can actually go faster than wait the speed wait, wait. Lidheads, lidheads. I want to speak directly to the lidheads here. I feel like Nick is misleading you with some pretty suspect science, or <laughs> or at least some pretty suspect understanding of. science I've given here. the the lidheads a thread to pull. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> listen lidheads, you heard it here first. Hop in those light ships. Hug the light and then slip on over to the other side. Break on through to the other side. You can go faster than the light. You don't yeah. need to strap yourselves into a seatbelt at all. Go okay. for it. We, we, this is hard science. You can both go fuck yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, please continue. So they're in a ship called a light hugger, which goes like really close to the speed of light, but does not break the speed of light because nothing with mass can break the speed of light. However, they mm, like tap into wormholes to, pow- to power it. It's, it's all very, very cool and interesting and sciencey and and maybe totally made up i have no idea but i trust alistair alistair starman and the third thread that you need to follow is an assassin a future assassin who like is really good at being an assassin So, Joe, it sounds like we have some fun components. Um, wh- what's this book all about? Okay. And, and specifically, you've given us threads, but you haven't woven them into a beautiful tapestry. So, get weaving. Yep. So, yeah. I, I, would like to, I would like to braid these three threads, right? Um, I would prefer, oh. I mean, I'll be honest, I would prefer like macrame or something woven, but if yeah, you have crochet, to braid them, maybe. I guess. Well, I only, know, I only know how to do like the three things and turn them into one thing, right? That's like the okay. best I've ever gotten at it. Like I can't weave a tapestry. I don't own a loom, guys. Yeah, he doesn't have the equipment, Ian. So just do your best, Joe. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. So essentially... At the very center of this space opera is a mystery. And the mystery is, hey, what happened to this civilization 900,000 years ago? Um, at this point in like humanity's history, it's the year about 2,500. Humanity has reached a point where they are beginning to colonize planets, right? Like they, they can go the speed of light, but even at the speed of light, things in the universe are really, really far away. Right. Um, So they're beginning to colonize planets. They drop off little seed crews like those planets go. But as they explore, they're finding like not a lot of living civilizations out there. They find remnants of past civilizations, but they don't find living civilizations. And they start asking the question, hey, what's going on? (laughs) Like it makes us nervous that all these civilizations are gone. Mm. Right. We talked about the Fermi paradox yes. with like, are you going to get there, Joe? Yeah. yeah. Wait, well, go ahead. feel free to then go ahead. Let's do, let's do let's Fermi to, paradox. Yeah. Let's, let's just get to the paradox. Joe. Okay. So uh, I think we're all waiting for it. During our hard science fiction episode, I tried to off the cuff talk about the Fermi paradox and I did a really bad job of it, but there is like the center of this novel revolves around this idea of the Fermi paradox. Um, I, I guess I'd like to make this more interactive, I guess. I guess, KWL, what do you guys know about the Fermi Paradox? What do you remember? What do, what do you want to know? Ian, you go first. Uh, I know that Joe is, or that, sorry, that Nick is going to uh, shamelessly piggyback off of what I'm about to say. 
Uh, that's what we I know, know. about yeah. the Fermi paradox. Uh, I also know that it's the question of like, if there's uh, if there's intelligent life out there, why haven't we found it yet? Right. Well, okay. So and what that's I want exact- to know is how is this connected to your book? <laughs> Perfect. Nick, would you like to add anything? I've, I have no further comments. Yeah. At so this time, your honor. So essentially what the Fermi paradox says is, hey, the universe is like really, really big. Even the Milky Way is really big with billions of planets. And of those billions of planets, like we think a whole bunch of them could support life. Why aren't we able to detect it? Not only that, but the universe is really old. Like there's a ton of time for life to have developed. We can't be the only ones. So where are all the aliens? That's the question. Mm -hmm. And there's a few possible solutions to the Fermi paradox that people propose. One of them is called the great filter, right? They think that life must go through a filtering stage at a certain point, right? And maybe that filtering stage is the conditions that create life, right? Like maybe life, like the actual like biological components, like the little bit of carbon, the bolt of lightning, I don't know how these things happen. Like maybe that is insanely, insanely rare just in the universe, right? But they also worry that once humanity or once life reaches a certain point that there's great filters out there that stop us from moving forward. So one of the solutions to the Fermi paradox or one of like the answers is, hey, maybe there's not other intelligent life out there because once life reaches a certain level of technology, it is quashed. Either it kills itself it destroys itself, and we could easily imagine that with like weapons of mass destruction, nuclear warheads, things like that. Or there's something else out there that stops them. There's something else out there that like kills life once it advances. Which I love it. Just to jump I in, like it. if you think about it, yeah, that's pretty horrifying. Oh, it's <laughs> it's it's pretty yeah. terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> it's take it's a pretty dark turn to the premise of your book. Is that kind of is it, is your book, how does it read? Is it pretty kind of like spooky? You said yeah. it's a mystery, so that's obviously spooky. But when, is it pretty, is it take a dark turn, Joe? It's a book that is, is it like, heavy? it's heavy, it's gritty. Some people even call it like noir, right? Some people oh, call sure. it Lovecraftian. I've heard that word before. Yeah, like there's elements of this book that are almost horror like um even for example like this light hugger this class of spaceship that a bunch of this book takes place on it's it's like this awesome futuristic technology it's a spaceship like as big as the city moving close to the speed of light where like the vast majority of the crew is in like hyperbolic sleep the whole time to um you know not age as they do this um but even that spaceship is like kind of crummy and in disrepair and there's like slimy mold growing on the walls in it and like the janitors are like robot rats for some reason right like on this height no explanation needed yeah i think like just hearing it's a fun answer to the question right i think that's like to me like you kind of need sci-fi to do that to take like the reality and kind of answer a question to an unanswerable question right um it's like the idea that that science fiction always has to be answering some question um and and there there are some questions that are kind of boring like 
what if everyone had robot shoes? And <laughs> what if all the janitors disappeared? <laughs> and there are other que- there are other questions that are more, much more interesting. Like why why aren't there why aren't there aliens? Why haven't mm-hmm. we why haven't we been contacted? Is it possibly because everyone knows that there are aliens and everyone's being really quiet so as not to attract attention? Mm-hmm. Is it because everyone who makes contact is destroyed? I think if the last 18 months could teach us anything, it's that you could definitely see, you could definitely see <laughs> civilization <laughs> imploding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that's cool. Okay. So we get the premise here, Joe. Uh, very nice. Um, what else? Yeah. yeah so did you like it? Yeah. Sounds, I, it's a pretty long book. Ugh. It was okay. Here's like the it? thing. I liked it. I, I really dug it. It was definitely long and it really was like work to read. Um, I had to go back so often and like read things or like, or reread things. I had to, um, like an idea would come up and I would be like, wait a second, has this existed before? Like, am I imagining this? Did I miss something? And it turned out that very often I, I had, but what I, liked so much about this book is what I like about all science fiction, like what draws me towards science fiction. And it is those cool little glimpses of stuff that just light your imagination on fire, like stuff you've never considered, or maybe like you've never seen done in this way before. Um, that, that, I don't know, just, but I, there's a phrase that I use that my students hate. Um, it's tickles your brain, right? That just oh, tickles we, your brain. Now we can hate it. Yeah, I, I know why your students hate it. <laughs> yeah. Now now everybody hates it, Joe. <laughs> well, lit, lit heads allow me to tickle your brains. <laughs> Joe. In mm-hmm. Ian, I'm gonna I think we were both thinking this. Yeah. I'm oh yeah. Gonna, I'm gonna you can ask. say it for me though, because mm-hmm. it's fine. <sighs> Joe, did you finish this book? Oh my god. <laughs> So I did finish this book. It was a hustle. Um, can I um can I ask a follow up follow up question, Your Honor? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Joe. Uh huh. What time today did you finish this book? <laughs> I. Joe, were you finishing this book as I was presenting? <laughs> um. So I was not finishing this book as Ian was presenting. However. I was finishing it. Um, Nick, as you know, I took a little mini road trip to Milwaukee today, which is about two hours one way and two hours back. Um, I finished That's four this four hours. If people are looking to fill four hour road trip, you can just go ahead and listen to uh, one of our episodes where we uh, we did a little summer series where we featured books uh, to listen to, audio books to listen to if you're on a particular uh, length of road trip. And 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 for one of the, the three episodes, we decided to pick a book that you shouldn't listen to, which um, I'm sorry really- about that one. They, they, they just they didn't tell me that that's what they were planning. So <laughs> it doesn't really it, they picked a really bad time to do our first anti episode. Mm-hmm. It, it just really broke the series. Um, pretty, pretty much in half. Um, but if you'd like to, uh, defy them, you can just go ahead and, and listen to that four hour audiobook. So, um, Joe, what were you saying? So I was saying that like, you know, if I drove from here into Milwaukee and then back home, I finished four, this four book yeah, yeah, in yeah. like, in like Nina, Wisconsin, which in is Nina. Lidhead's pretty, pretty close to where I live. Um, I finished this book by the skin of my teeth. 
Actually, the last thing I'm going to say is if you are a fan of the Mass Effect trilogy, um, you a video have, game. Yeah, you have Alistair Reynolds in large part to thank for it. Oh, um, really? Yeah, Mass Effect is inspired by tons of of science fiction, but um, the the writers of Mass Effect are big fans of Alistair Reynolds and specifically the Revelation Space series. So. What do you think the Venn diagram is on lit heads and video games? Because I feel larger like than you might expect. Yeah. You think so? I definitely do. Just because Nick, just because you're you're an angry jock who doesn't play much video games beyond twelve yep. seconds. Oh, uh, Nick is such a jock, such a meathead. Uh, I do. I love my wife and I. We play uh, pig, which is um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, our version of horse because yep. horse <laughs> is too many letters and we can't get that many hoops. I thought you were going to say you couldn't spell it. (laughs) Ian, you you lose. (sighs) Yeah. And and one, of course, because it was a reader recommendation. (laughs) And and, in a time-honored tradition on this show, which has so few (laughs) time-honored traditions. Um, Readers, we would love for you to recommend a book, but it will lose. (laughs) Like, like it will not win that week. It's not not planned out. Um, No, this is to no fault of of Rachel or Ian. Um, Joe, your book just sounds, it's got me. I'm interested in the fact that it was written by, it's got hard science. I'm, I, 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 that, that interests me alone. And I think the Fermi paradox is just intrinsically really compelling and terrifying. But yeah, hey. it was compelling when I talked about it before. Hey, Litheads, <laughs> Litheads, we thank you for listening. And I know that you guys listen, even though Joe and Nick don't. Uh, keep listening. We, we appreciate it. Um, we, we have a website. It's youdon'tknowlitpodcast.com. Head on over there. Recommend a book or a theme or both. You can also head on over to our social. We have social media on Pinterest and... <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not on Pinterest. Parlor. Hey, remember when we made the OnlyFans joke and then like we were uh, during a recording session and then the next day they announced that OnlyFans was going to be um, a, like a non-sexual platform? Oh, we we are certified social media killers. We're on so uh, yeah. we're on social media, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at you don't know lit. And we would love it if you would head on over to the iTunes Apple podcast store. I still don't know what that thing is called after a year plus of recording and <laughs> give us a five star review. And, you know, just keep talking us up to your friends, neighbors, relatives, significant others, enemies, and that one guy who killed your whole family, and now you're tracking him around the globe for revenge. Mm-hmm. Congratulations right. to Revelations, to King Kong, to Godzilla, and most especially to Joseph Holshue. Thank you, Ian. I've got a quote, um, and it's a it's a short little quote, and it's from, um, oh, I don't know, it's just kind of a quote that, well, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to read it. Hey, Joe, tell us more about this quote, like set it up. <laughs> Mm-mm, nope, I'm just going to say it. Okay. Corey did not need to be told that Hades was a neutron star any more than she needed to be told that there was no such thing as a safe, close encounter with one. You either kept well away or you died. Those were the rules, and there was no force in the universe capable of negating them. Gravity ruled, and gravity did not take into account circumstances or the unfairness of things or listen to 11th hour petitions before reluctantly repealing its laws. Gravity crushed, and the near surface of a neutron star, gravity crushed absolutely, until diamond flowed like water, until a mountain collapsed into a millionth of its height. It was not even necessary to get close to suffer those crushing forces. 